Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we discuss a variety of topics, perhaps one topic only in hopefully a calm manner, and uh, that isn't so interesting that you won't be able to drift off. But listen, there's going to be some episodes that people find interesting, and there's going to be that same episode that people aren't going to find interesting. I say it only because... People sometimes review the podcast and say it was interesting. Trust me, there's going to be an episode that you won't find interesting. We have over 200, so good luck finding that episode. Or perhaps all of them are for you. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me is a dear friend uh, who's currently uh, communicating with me from Charlotte, Frankie Day. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Marco. Frankie, first of all, I need to say that Charlotte, North Carolina, is one of my favorite places on the planet. Yes, it's uh, great down here, especially right now when things are just turning to spring and, you know, the weather is starting to warm up just a little bit. It's uh, it's perfect, perfect positioning on, on the <laughs> in the south here. Yeah, I need to say I met Frankie in a course that I took. And you know when you meet someone who's the coolest person in the room and you're like, I got to get to know this person because they just exude a sort of coolness, a hipness, just somebody who 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 you just want to be around and talk to. And Frankie, for me, that was you in that class that we took. Well, thank you. I, I think the same thing about you, to be really honest. Um, you and your wife are both amazing people. And I every time I get to hear from you, it's just an awesome time. Um. Well, I'll say this, Frankie, Canada misses you and you're always welcome back. And I hope to see you sooner rather than later back in Toronto or somewhere here in Canada where we can have a drink and clink some glasses. Definitely, definitely soon. But until then, Frankie, I want to talk sci-fi with you. Great. That's going to be, I was, I'm, I love sci-fi. I have since I was a kid and um, actually write a bit of of science fiction in my free time. So it's a subject that I think is very interesting in that you can explore things that most people will only dream of or never even consider, which I think is one of the best things about science fiction is that it allows your mind to expand to places that you may never have considered before. 
What's your earliest memory of sci-fi as a kid that gravitated or brought you to that genre? Well, I definitely read a lot as a kid. And so I'd read things like H.G. Wells, The Time Machine, or um, Ray Bradbury, things like that. Um, I like to read a lot of stories about space exploration, you know, or um, things like meeting other cultures or different alien species. So that was very interesting to me when I was a kid. And that's something that I gravitated to a lot and read a lot of. So I think probably those early science fiction writers that I was reading at maybe 12 or 13 is some of the first science fiction that I ever encountered. Wow. So this logically leads me to the question of where do you stand on the time warp continuum? The time warp continuum. Does that make any sense? You know how they talk about it. I have no idea what it is, Frankie, to be quite honest with you, but they often talk about it in, um, you know, when they talk about time, people doing time jumps and like, um, um, like, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw it out there thinking it would make me sound smart, but clearly it it didn't. (laughs) No, there's a lot of um, talk about the way that time travel could work or even far off space travel. Um, It's really funny that you would bring that up because just yesterday I was watching a documentary about quantum mechanics and how um, particles of light can travel in waves or they can travel in particles. And one of the documentaries, it was a short documentary um, featuring the physicist Michio Kaku, who is a an American physicist who he works to make science relatable and understandable to the average person. And he was talking about how he envisions travel in the future and possibly time travel in the future and how he imagines that you will be able to download your mind, your thoughts, your brain, basically, and then send it across the universe faster than light. And it will arrive and inhabit a body that you can then use to explore this alien world. And he had a lot of really interesting hypotheses and theories about how that could mix with traveling, not necessarily through, through time, but through other dimensions that could exist close to our earth our our world dimension which sounds all very fantastical of course right. but that's his job is to imagine the fantastic things of the future which i think bringing it back to science fiction is what we what science fiction authors and science fiction readers come to expect from the genre these things that the the furthest limits the most creative understanding of what the possibilities could be of the future so i think that kind of thing like time travel and, you know, traveling through dimensions are all things that science fiction writers have tried to explore and used as much creativity as they can to explore. And in some ways, they use the science that really exists to further their explorations in their writings. Right. You could even go back to someone like, say, Mary Shelley, who was at the time writing about something that didn't really exist in her novel Frankenstein. And then, you know, you look at it today and it's like, well, we're not quite there, 
But certainly science has come so far that we have been able to resurrect people who've, you know, um, have had uh, incidences where we were able to sort of bring them back to life. So it's really fascinating to see how sometimes science fiction writing catches up to the present day and we actually bring some of those concepts or thoughts to life. Exactly, exactly. Like um, we, were, we were speaking before the show a little bit about Star Trek and mm. something like the pads from Star Trek, they, which are these were completely created by the Star Trek, the next generation and the original series, their um, props masters and their special effects people, which are just these, you know, squ- a rectangular looking flat tablets that were just from their imagination. And then the creators of the iPad and like things like the Kindle, they looked at those science fiction items and thought, wouldn't that be cool if that could exist? And finally, when the technology was able to catch up to those ideas, those fantastic imaginings, then you have things like the iPad and the Kindle or anything, um, the art station um, tablets that people can draw on. So right. it's quite interesting. Okay. You mentioned Star Trek. Can we just take a little detour to Star Trek land for a brief second? Absolutely. All right. Who are your favorite characters in the Star Trek universe? And I'll tell I you, have, I'll tell you yeah. mine too, in case you need a minute to think, cause there's so many. I do have quite a few. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me bring you mine and see what you think of these characters. Okay. So um, I guess third on my my list is going to be Diana Troy Mm -hmm. because I I just love her, you know, ability on that show as a Mm -hmm. empath. And there's just something about it and her performance and her portrayal of it that Mm -hmm. not to mention the outfit she wore was spectacular on her, Mm -hmm. but just... That character I really, really loved. I also, she's one of my favorite characters. I love that she is an empath, just as you said. Yes. She serves at the side of the captain of the flagship of the, of the, of Starfleet. And so they have elevated her to a position where she has the ear of one of the most powerful people in Starfleet. And that makes her an important character and makes and shows that her role is important on the ship. And there are so many instances where Picard is not sure what to do or um, wants another perspective. And he goes to Troy, who is able to help him to make these vital decisions. So definitely 100 percent love, love her, that that character and love her. And Maria Sirtis, um, who is American, and I think she might have been born in England, but moved to America. She um, completely made up that accent that she uses for Wait, the show. She's not. That's not her accent. I thought that's she was not, British, yeah. and that was her British accent. Nope that oh. that is a that is a, an amalgamation of accents that she came up with with Gene Roddenberry to give Troy a more uh, like alien kind of background. Right. But if you hear her in regular interviews, she just has a regular American accent. I see. I see. Now, the other character I really liked on the show, and she didn't have um, the biggest role, I guess it got eclipsed, was the original doctor on the Jean-Luc Picard series. So not Crusher's mother, but the one that came before with the short hair. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, Yes. Um, 
yes, she's played by Diana Moldor, and I'm blanking on her name, the character's name, okay. Dr. Pulaski. Dr. Yes. Pulaski? There was something about her. She had this kind yeah. of like no-nonsense kind of delivery, and she had this mm-hmm. kind of – she always had this kind of slightly ticked-off look on her face that I really mm-hmm. – Really enjoyed, I have to say, and her character, her 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 character, or that that uh, character didn't wasn't on for very long. But I remember when I watched it back in the day that I really liked it. Yes, yeah, so Doctor Pulaski. So it's so Doctor Crusher was on the show from seasons one to like I think the middle of season two, and then she left. Um, that, that that actor left the mm-hmm. show, and they brought on Doctor Pulaski as a kind of bones type so if you remember from the original series bones was more of a gruff you know doctor he was a skeptic he had a lot of issues with technology and so they brought in that kind of dr pulaski character to mirror that and she was she never i i think in my feelings she never really meshed well with a lot of the crew or and i think that that was probably one of the reasons that she ended up leaving okay but she did I think she left a huge mark on the show. And I think that she was, I think that she was a very interesting character. Okay. And she was uh, a character who brought some, some low stakes conflict to the show in just that she offered a different perspective. And I really liked that about her. And then Diana Mulder went on to be on LA law after leaving that. That's right. So it worked out for her. Ah, wow. Mm -hmm. Now my favorite character on the Star Trek in the Star Trek universe is on Star Trek Discovery. I, I don't know. Are you watching that, Frankie? I love Discovery. I, okay. I've watched every episode, yeah. And I'm going to be biased, but it's the character of Leto who happens to be played by my nephew, Luca, on the oh, show, yeah. on my actual, mm-hmm. uh, on the actual show. Yeah. And uh, he had a small part. I but... remember. Absolutely. I remember um, seeing the post that you posted mm-hmm. about him being on the show yeah. and kind of not and kind of forgetting about it a little until I watched the episode and then remembering, Oh, I know that, that actor. Well, tangentially sure. six sure. degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and um, he was really great. He was so cute and he got to interact with Sonequa yeah. in a really nice like way. And I, I love that scene. It was great. He did a great job. Yeah. And um, my sister said everyone on that show, especially the ones he was um, acting with, were so wonderful, so absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. And Jonathan Frakes directed that episode. So my sister sat next to him and the entire time she was sweating buckets because she couldn't believe she was sitting next to Jonathan Frakes because my father was a huge Star Trek fan. And so she remembered growing up watching my father watch Jonathan Frakes on uh, Star Trek. And she was like, she was kind of, she didn't know what to do because she was sitting right next to him as he directed her son. It was an incredible sort of moment, I guess. I would have absolutely died. I would have absolutely. Yeah just been so excited um it was yeah that that would be incredible i i can tell you a story that i have about yes. michelle yo okay and she of course plays uh captain giorgio and then she plays uh philippa giorgio and on the show and so to preface this i will say that i have loved michelle yo since i was about 12 years old amazing I saw her in a movie called Super Cop with Jackie Chan, and they 
played two police officers who were trying to infiltrate a gang and, you know, they had their, their, um, their police work. And I thought she was amazing. She does this great stunt where she's on a motorcycle and it just burned in my brain as this wonderful moment. And I've been a huge fan of her ever since. I've seen all of her movies. Um, and I actually, when we met in Canada, Marco, I was working at the U.S. Embassy. Yes. Or the consulate, actually. And um, so a lot of uh, celebrities will come through the consulate. They will be in New York and they'll come to the consulate to get, renew their visa if they're from, you know, England or what, what have you. Sure, sure. And then they'll go back to New York. So it was very, very, as a hub, I got to meet all kinds of people and it was great. And then, and then one day Michelle Yeoh was coming to get her visa. And I used to do all the celebrity um, visa interviews because I was, um, I got there early. Sure. And the week after I stopped working in that section and stopped doing the interviews, Michelle Yeoh came to the consulate to get her visa. And I missed the opportunity no. to meet her and I was pretty upset, but um, I did get to see and hold her passport Okay, as we were processing it. Sure. So that made me feel a bit better. She, okay. I heard she was very nice, which of course I'm not surprised at all mm-hmm. and just a complete professional. So that is my story of almost meeting Michelle Yeoh and in retrospect, it probably isn't that exciting to people who don't really love that character and that actor. But for me, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, Michelle Yeoh, if you're listening, um, please, uh, you know, contact us so we can put you in contact with Frankie Day so that, uh, you know, you can make one of her uh, unrealized dreams come true. Uh, that would be amazing. Now, you you have met a lot of celebrities in the sci-fi world at those various conferences and whatnot, because I've seen pictures on your Instagram with with I was it the the actor who played Xena? Was it with her that you? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless. Yep. Thank you. Sorry, Lucy, if you're listening to this and you're like, you don't know my name. I, I <laughs> and I'm like, of course, I know it. It just didn't come to me in that moment. <laughs> but um is there someone you haven't met yet that you would like to meet who's been in one of your uh, sci-fi or superhero type shows? So that's a, that is a great question. Mm-hmm. And I have an answer. And that answer is Brie Larson. I oh. would love to meet Brie Larson. She played Captain Marvel, of course, mm-hmm. in the Marvel movie, Captain Marvel. I'm looking at my water bottle with my Captain okay. Marvel logo on it right now. Um, she does do conventions, um, and so hopefully we'll get to see her really soon at a convention, maybe there in Toronto or or in the state somewhere. Um, I would also like to meet Brendan Fraser, who is having a bit of a renaissance right now. They call it the Renaissance. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, he's doing some shows. He's got some jobs, and he's um, you know he's he's on his way back up. And he was trending on Twitter the other day. So cool. He's uh, he's another guy who does conventions that I would love, I would love to meet in person. Okay. What, what about you, Marco? Who would you like to meet? You, you know, haven't? so we went to a comic con sheerly by accident one time. Amanda and myself, we were in Chicago and we were doing a corporate gig there, and it happened to be happening at our hotel at the time. So we would see a lot of people that were 
at the Comic-Con walking in the hotel lobby, like Lou Ferrigno, who played the Hulk on the television series back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We saw him. But um, uh, who would I like to meet from those from those shows? That's a great question. I never really gave it a th- much thought because... You know, for me, that's not necessarily my genre. Like, I don't think I would freak out too much. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, certainly, I would love to meet some of my heroes, which would be, let's say, Dolly Parton is high on that list. Oh, I love Dolly. Love oh, Dolly. she's so great. We actually did an episode. I did an episode about Dolly Parton with my friend <laughs> Shannon McDonough. Um, but yeah, she would be top of my list. And uh I don't know who else, to be honest with you. It's not coming to me anyways. I'm sure as soon as we finish, I'll be like, oh, this person, that person. Um, mm-hmm. Surely uh, Patrick Stewart, I would love to meet. I thought mm-hmm. he was brilliant and and uh, always like everything he does. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the Star Trek universe. Um, I wanted to ask you, when I had asked you about doing an episode about sci- sci-fi, you had mentioned things like warp cores and schematics. Mm-hmm. And I responded with, I don't know what those mean, but I would mm-hmm. love to talk about them. So can we talk a little bit about warp cores? Absolutely. So warp cores um, are now if somebody is listening and is a huge Star Trek fan, they may say that I've misspoken or said something that wasn't quite accurate. Okay. So I will preface this by saying this is just my own interpretation of the things that I've read and seen. And I'm sure there are some errors that I'm going to say, but I'm just doing my best. Sure. Um, So basically warp cores are the propulsion system on vessels in the Star Trek universe. Most, most vessels, they use um, a fuel called the lithium, which lasts a very long time and has, has a huge output of power. And then the warp cores translate that power into propulsion and also, uh, it uses it for every source of energy on the ship, including life support systems, um, you know, replicators, which is where they get their food from, um, transporter systems, anything that runs on power will use the dilithium from the warp core. And I believe there's a secondary power source that they can use when they are um, in a lower uh, need, have a lower need for power. I see. Um so the warp cores are the heart of the ship. Something that happens often in the Star, Star Trek universe is that they have to eject the warp cores for one reason or another. And of course, they always get the warp cores back because they need the warp cores to to pilot the ship. And I bet they're very expensive, too. You don't want to be leaving your warp core in the middle of space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. they're, they're expensive and hard to... Um, to recreate. So um, it, they are very important for the ship. And something that happens in Discovery that I think is very interesting is that we get to see something called detachable warp cores, which aren't actually physically connected to the ship. So um, the warp cores, um, uh, the the warp core, which like is the engine, um, which you, of course, can eject. It, um, they use a type of technology, nanotechnology, right. to um, detach it from the ship so it can have more maneuverability. Wow. Which I think is very interesting. That's amazing. And when we're talking schematics, what are we talking about precisely? Well, 
the Star Trek universe has fans who are very dedicated to the craft, to the show and the craft of building the show. So they have created schematics that will tell you all, all you need to know about any ship that has been seen on screen. And there are, there are uh, people working even now to incorporate new design elements and new information into the schematics that they have for old and new ships. So for example, I am looking at the Enterprise NCC-1701C, which um, you will recognize as the ship that uh, Captain Picard pilots in, um, in The Next Generation. Right. And it has everything from the maximum cruise speed or the maximum emergency speed to the length, the breadth, uh, how many shuttles, how many probes, uh, transporters, and every bit of information that you can imagine, including the date that it was commissioned and the place where it was fitted and constructed. Okay. So I can tell you some of that information. Sure. I would love that. I hear an engine in the background in case people are listening to that and they say, what is that sound? So uh, it's probably just some car in the background, right, Frankie? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I just, I just like to identify it in case our listeners are like, what's that sound? Once you tell people what it is, we can move on and everyone's happy. So yes, I would love to know this information. Where was this spacecraft made? Any other details? Yes. So um, the Enterprise is a multi-mission long-range starship, and its classification is cruiser. Um, It was designed by the Advanced Starship Design Bureau, and its construction site was actually on Jupiter um, McKinley Orbital Shipyards, which are not technically on Jupiter, but orbiting Jupiter. I see, I see. Yes, and... um, the ship was fitted out, which I believe it that means that it um, after its main construction, it was built up to um, Starfleet specifications at the John F. Kennedy Orbital Shipyards. I see. Also um, orbiting Jupiter. And um, the controlling authority for that entire construction was the Starfleet Starfleet Command, of course, which is the militaristic arm of the Federation, the United Federation of Planets. Wow. That's, yep. that's so, amazing. So there's that, yeah. th- there's these schematics for all the ships that have appeared in the Star Trek universe on screen. Yes. Wow. As much information as can be either found out from the source material or gleaned from understanding of Starfleet technology and the shape and dimensions of the ship. That will be what they use to the enthusiasts will use to determine what information is available. And of course, there are hundreds of thousands of pages written about all of these ships in official in the official universe through books and guides that anybody can buy online or in a bookstore. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. Well, listen, you know, we're coming to the end of this episode of the Insomnia Project. Frankie, is there any way our listeners can read your sci-fi material? Is it on available online or available anywhere? I am still working out the last edits to my first novel. Okay. 
uh, but I will definitely be sure to announce when that is done. In the meantime, people can follow me on Twitter at Frankie Day, D-A-Y, writes. So just Frankie Day writes all together, and I will post there any updates. That I Great. And I'll keep that in our show notes for anyone who is falling asleep and doesn't want to grab a pen and uh, paper. Frankie Day writes, uh, Frankie, I'm going to say this. When your book is published, will you be a guest on the show and we can talk about that? Absolutely. It's about Greek mythology. And like Star Trek, I can talk about Greek mythology for hours. Oh, my goodness. Then we might have to do a double episode. Frankie, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I've learned some things. I feel like I was being a little bit silly, but uh, you never you never made me feel bad about that. So thank you, Frankie. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, for everyone else, we hope you enjoy this episode and we were we really hope you were able to listen and sleep. <laughs>